to what is my last recording of the Death With Dignity podcast. If you are listening to this, then that means I have finally succumbed to the disease of cancer and am no longer with us. But I hope that you can learn a little bit from this episode, which we recorded about a month ago. Um, This is when I started to recognize I was really going downhill I've currently been utilizing hospice services for approximately about 10 days now, and they've been amazing and extremely helpful. It's something I encourage all people who get to this phase to explore. Um, They've got me on some really good meds to help me be comfortable. I've been lucky to have my family and friends with me for the last month, being with me, supporting me, even though I've just been kind of a slug on the couch. But it's been amazing to have that time with them and reminisce and just be together. I hope that this can grow into something more and that people can uh, respect the rights of all and that they can, you know, even if they don't fully agree with this certain situation, at least learn to have some empathy and compassion, especially given these scenarios, which... I'll admit the last month and the physical symptoms, not to mention the mental anguish that come with this disease, are really quite horrendous. I don't know how I'm still alive. Today's date is November 14th. I'm planning to utilize my medication tomorrow. I don't know if it will happen or not, but to be honest, I, I didn't think I'd get through October. So it's good to be around and I do believe that there is something more to all of this, so I'm comfortable with where I'm going, and I believe that we will all cross paths again. I also want to give specific shout-outs to my school community, who I have loved for so long, the hockey community, who, again, I have such a passion for, and uh, some of my best friends and best people I've ever met go to that community. And my family and friends, of course, uh, those people are so important to me and have helped me get so far in life. And as finally this community, the death with dignity community and the whole idea of medical aid and dying, I hope that it can carry on. Uh, until then, each day is a gift. Ride the wave. Believe in the good. Uh, this is Andrew Flack. I hope you enjoy my final episode of the Death with Dignity podcast. All right, and we are live with the Death with Dignity podcast. Prognosis update, a little discussion here. Pretty much, it feels like coming down to one of our final episodes, I guess, in terms of... um, really my availability and I'll start with that um I have really been feeling pretty crummy the last I mean early six to eight weeks back in July is when things started to take a pretty big turn today is October 5th and um in a hospital last few weeks had a really fun some really fun experiences in between including 
going to my best friend's wedding back home. That was a delight. But uh, after that, the last few weeks, the last two, three weeks have been getting bad. The body is breaking down worse and worse, for example. Um, the pain has become pretty intense in my butt and my lower abdomen, even running down my left leg. It goes down to like the kneecap, sometimes down to the ankles area. Um, fatigue, weight loss, and a lot of other problems developing with the body. Um, basically, n- new wounds that are opening up and getting worse, uh, causing a lot of discomfort, causing a lot of issues that, you know, basically no one should have to go through. Um, yeah, uh, I'll be honest, it's uh, it's been pretty rough. So... Wanted to get behind the mic of the last few weeks. We've been talking about doing this for a while. I'm sitting here with my mom and Hasban right now. And uh, it's just been hard because there are times where I felt really, really shitty over the last few weeks and you just don't want to do anything. And uh, other times you feel okay and feel like you can do something like this or be more of a person. Um, I, I'm not really taking beach walks anymore. Can't really even get down the block or around the block. I'm finding over the last few weeks that I've really just been living the couch life and trying to get by. Uh, The body, as mentioned, is breaking down worse. And, yeah, we've been exploring hospice services, which are something that I think will start soon. And we wanted to get on the mics and get a chance to do another recording to fill people in on what's happening. And I can get into gritty details if needed, but... I think everybody, what I was saying to a friend earlier was a lot of people over the years have commented about, you know, my toughness or you're so strong, you know, and all that stuff. And it is nice and motivating. And um, you take pride in that. But I think you do get to the point where it's something like hospice and something like, like death does sound more appealing than what I've been doing over the last few weeks. And... I think it's important to remember that only because if it's coming from someone who, as many people have said, you know, commented on the tough piece and all that, you know, I'll, again, I'll take pride in that. Yeah, I, I like to think I'm a tough customer. Um, so it, I guess take it for me that it, when you get to the point physically where, uh, you know, physically it's pretty unbearable and that comes with a lot of mental anguish as well. It's nice to have options like medical aid and dying and then the services available such as hospice. Um, I've said to my family and friends and some people over the last couple days specifically just that one of my fears when I learned that we would not be able to cure this disease was that I would not die. And even when I'm ready to die, my body just physically would not quit. And... I feel like that's almost exactly what's happening. <clears throat> if you look at me, I look I look all right. I'm definitely really light right now, and I'm down to like probably a buck twelve, a hundred twelve pounds. Um, but other than that, so, look somewhat healthy. I feel like I have other strong parts of my body. My some of my organs are still okay: kidney and heart, lung functions, and all that. And that's why this is so hard trying to figure out where to go and what direction to go in. Even though those things are healthy, 
with cancer and how this disease has progressed, they will become impacted at some point. And that's aside from what I'm already dealing with, with the constant wound care, the constant pain, uh, just so much other, so many other elements that are now a factor in my life every day, every second, every minute, really. And, uh, I remember sitting down with my oncologist years ago, expressing that to him that I just wouldn't die and I'm afraid I'd be suffering and hanging around. And that's when we got on the topic of medical aid and dying. And that's how we went down this whole road with this podcast and everything. As I reflect over the last few weeks and think about what life is like moving forward, I am thankful to have that option and I do plan on utilizing it. I'm not sure when. I think it'll be within the next several weeks just because of how bad my body has been breaking down. Um, I've had heavy discussions with my oncologist. He's very well aware, supportive, family supportive, friends. And the purpose for me to do this would just be avoid inevitable and unnecessary suffering and have some sort of control and advocacy over how I want the end of my life to look. Because again, I'm already suffering every day and it's pretty horrible. And I don't think anybody should have to be in this position, especially knowing that there's no answers for it. There's no way of correcting any of this. Um, so that's where things are at. I wanted to obviously have my mom and husband on here as well, just to, uh, I think, talk and see how people are feeling and uh, share some of this together. Um, there's no words, right? This is so uncharted, all of this, and it's so odd to think about how I'm basically planning my death and doing it with my mom and my family and friends. I look at the other side of the coin, though, and think about how, you know, during that time, I'm still able to laugh and chat with my mom and look at old photos and talk about funny stories and favorite memories. We've got this time to be able to do that together, which I really value, whereas if I were you know, to die suddenly or tragically in that fashion, uh, it w would be very different for people. So that's another piece of made that I'm really uh, appreciative of. But it's hard. It's hard. One thing I have talked with the doctors and people and about is just I'm afraid of pulling the trigger too early on this. I want to be able to use as much time as I can. But again... I just feel like uh, at this point I'm more relieved. I feel such a sense of relief knowing that I have the option to use hospice and to have them help me be comfortable and have a quality death and avoid, again, tremendous suffering. I think part of the reason this is so bizarre and odd is because, well, it's not at all an everyday thing, not a lot of people on this planet, <clears throat> probably in the history of the planet, have been in a position where they can kind of plan out their death like this. Obviously, there's suicide and things like that, but I think that is a completely different topic and subject. Um, so we'll just stay away from that altogether. We know that I'm going to die from cancer. We know that it will be within, you know, weeks or months as I'm electing to stop treatments. And... I think that uh, having made and that option is is something everybody should have. 
anyways, I'm rambling. <clears throat> you guys got any comments or questions? I figure that's a starting point. Like that was a good ramble. Yeah, it was a ramble. Um, yeah, uh, the podcast I guess is for other people and uh, updated, and we do this whole thing. You know, we put stuff out on social media. But I feel like it's just a space. You know, we don't get to get to just sit down and talk like this. Um, kind of honored to be here with you and like Susie and just share thoughts and. Yeah, just talk. Yeah, and I um I am too, man. And I feel like this whole thing is a part of my path, and including this podcast and this advocacy. I'm glad that you guys were a part of this journey as we went. Um, it's bizarre. It's heavy stuff. I mean, this is literally life and death we're talking, and it's the heaviest topic you can think of, and it's a lot. I think about my um. So just to give an update, I'm basically coming from back from Chicago from my uncle's death. He was on a ventilator for 20 days and like he was alive at that time. But unlike the time you're spending with Susie and your family, they just had this hope that it would work out. So I feel like they didn't spend the time talking things out. And I don't know, I'm sure just, there's just a lot of things they would have wanted to say to each other. But because of the, you know, that optimism that they had I, I felt like they all held back and um i'm sure they had some conversations you know but the really cool thing about medical aid and dying is uh this intention that people have and it's been beautiful to see how you and Susie have even spent this time together and um just your family dynamics and all the people like involved how supportive they are of you and how they've let not just let you i know that's a weird way to say it but encourage you to live your own life your way and that's something like nobody can take away. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I've been blessed to have that support from friends and family the whole time and including at this really difficult time. Um, I am a firm believer that this is a part of my path. As difficult as this is, I do think this is just what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And I wish, I wish it wasn't like this, right? Like I, I don't. I don't want to be sick like this, but again, I recognize that it's just, this is just how it's supposed to be. And I trust in the universe or God or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what it is, but I do believe there is something more. I believe that with all my heart and soul. And part of that was probably from the psychedelic experiences where I've certainly visited or at least had visitors from what I think are different realms or Air, uh, I don't know, energies, if you will. I just think that there is more to our physical body. And even when we die physically, our soul goes on and that eventually we will be together. People will be together again. So it makes it easier knowing that I'm going to be surrounded by everybody that I love on these last few days and weeks on, on this planet. Well, I had a question for you. This came up. Uh, you were talking about family. Um, have you thought about your family different before the disease and after? Like your concept of family and the role they play in your lives and, you know. Yeah, that's a great question. And absolutely. I realized I think parts of me took my family for granted prior to being sick. And it sounds cliche in a sense, but until you're really forced into this position a near-death experience 
or maybe something like that. There's so much that you do take for granted and don't appreciate. And when you go through something like this, it forces you to reflect and to dig deep and try to find what's important to you. And when I think about this cancer odyssey, I think a lot about my family and how they've been there this whole time, the different trips that they've made over the last five years, because October 2nd was the five-year cancerversary, as some people referred to it, or that was my official diagnosis date, October 2nd of 2017. I think about how over that five years, we've come so close together, and I value that so much. And I do believe that that is something good that this disease has brought us. And that if I wouldn't have become sick, I don't think I'd be nearly as close with my family as I am now. I don't think we'd spend nearly as much of this time as we have together. And I'm so grateful for that time and how we've become so close. And I've recognized that in life, I believe really all you have is your health followed by your family. And those are the two most important things. I would trade everything, everything I own to get my health back and just start, I'd start fresh, you know, naked on the streets if I had to without a penny to my name. But, uh, with that again, I, I try to believe in the good and maintain that optimism. And I feel that, and again, it maybe is me just trying to rationalize and just get by all this. I don't know, but I do, I still just feel so strongly that this is part of my path. And there are a lot of good things that have come from this, this odyssey. And this podcast is one of them, right? Who knows how this may impact people or help people along the way. And this might sound cliche too, but I feel like you've actually impacted so many people. Um, I feel like uh, you're not just you, you're like a collection of people. And um, I feel like you just have really impacted them. Thanks, man. And that means a lot. One thing I think a lot about is how when I'm gone... I so badly hope that my family is able to stay connected with people like you and Z and Strav's and the boys, Johnny O, everybody, um, family and friends. Yeah, I, I just I feel like it, all these people that I've come across in life, hockey, I'm thinking Saginaw Badgers, Naperville Central Red Hawks, you know, Illinois State. All of it, all those kids I played with and people all played such a a role. And whether or not it was a big or a small role, I think it compounds over time and adds up and makes you who you are. So I'm lucky to have had my family kind of help lay that foundation and then people like you and the hockey community, the teaching community, special ed all those things have come together over, you know, the 34 years that I've been here and it provided so much for me. I forget what the question was. <laughs> I'm about family. Yeah. Um, Susie, you've um, obviously got to spend some special time with your son. Um, yeah, I guess, what has that been like? Well, that is um, 
one good thing. We talk all the time, Andrew and I, about how if he wasn't sick, um, we probably wouldn't have spent so much time together. And um, it's really been quality time because we don't do much, but we sit and we'll watch TV and talk about old favorite memories and such. And one thing I, I do have to say, and, and I'm very thankful, I told Andrew today, you know, if he were to die tonight, I feel like I've said everything I need to say to him. And um, I think he knows how much he is loved and how much he's impacted everyone and certainly how proud his father and I are of him. And, um, you know, in that respect, I'm really grateful for this time certainly enjoy every minute of it that we have together absolutely and the little things right um my quality of life looks different now versus just three weeks ago even but uh sitting on the couch watching you know old movies from whenever and laughing about the different connections and eating meals together is something I've really been valuing because I am also now at the point where I just, I can't eat anymore. I eat maybe a meal a day, half a meal and, uh, food. Yeah. We, we talked about how I love food. You know, I, I guess I'd be a foodie quote unquote. I do have a slice of pizza tattooed on my arm after all, but, um, <laughs> yeah, food, it's, it's such a love. And as a species, as people, we, that's one of our major needs and desires. So when you take away one of the major needs um, for a, a, an organism, uh, yeah, you got to expect there's not going to be a whole lot that they're going to be able to do over time. And it's, uh, it's, it's a bummer. I'll still be able to, you know, enjoy food here and there and want to do like a nice last meal and stuff like that. But, uh, that's also another sign how I know it's time to, you know, begin hospice services and just see where things go over the next week or two. Because, yeah, as mentioned, just not really doing much anymore. I, I can't get down to the beach anymore. Um, can't walk jacks. But uh, hockey's been out the window for a long time, which hockey season starts next week. So I definitely want to catch a couple games before, you know, it's all said and done. It's so odd, right? We're sitting here and having this discussion. Again, I'm referring back to a friend today, but he said to me, I just don't get and understand how you can be there planning this out with your mom and your family. Like, this is so bizarre. And it is. But I think, too, it takes, it certainly takes courage and uh, bravery and. Not that I want to say, you know, we're setting a trend here, but again, I'm passionate this option should be afforded to everybody, including people who, people who oppose medical aid and dying. I often wonder how much interaction they've had with someone who's in a position like mine or with a debilitating disease such as ALS or, uh, you know, a terminal illness. 
Because I really feel when people, if they had to experience what I've been going through or what, you know, some of these people I see at, you know, Morris Cancer Center are doing, they would be begging for that option. And I just think, uh, I hope that this movement continues to go in a good direction and at least, again, just an option. That's all we're talking, giving an option to people who are at the end of the line because of a terminal illness. Yeah, I mean, I try to bring it up to people in, like, Illinois again. When I was at the funeral, we met uh, a couple of doctors. Again, nobody knows about it. And the more I think about how my uncle passed and some people I know passed, I don't see much difference from hospice and medical aid and dying where I feel like we're just splitting hairs anyways. Um, But yeah, almost everyone I speak to, though, agrees that persons should be allowed to decide for themselves. Yeah, and it's hard. Again, like, well, what if I'm pulling the trigger too early? Things like that. I mean, honestly, people, I've been thinking about this for years now, and I am so comfortable now with where I'm at and just kind of knowing that this is, I think, then the line for me. I think it's okay to accept that. I, I picture what the future would look like, and literally, it's a Wednesday right now, and Saturday night is when things really took a turn. And Saturday, Sunday, Monday, literally every single one of those days, something really bad broke down in the body or just went completely sideways. And so I'm managing all that. It's, again, going to continue to get worse. I just feel like this option is so valuable to avoid what will be coming up over the next several weeks or months which is inevitable suffering. Agony. The worst stuff you can think of is happening. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. I feel like words don't do it justice because people don't... Um, you could say whatever and use like the words that we know. <clears throat> but um, an and experience is different, you know? Um, only totally. you know what that means when you say body breaking down. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's bad. Um, yeah, bizarre, bizarre stuff, all of it. I do. I talked to my oncologist today, and we decided to explore hospice services. The order is in, so tomorrow I'll likely line up a service and get that started. They'll be able to provide a lot, you know, more comfort in terms of pain and. Uh, even like anxiety and such, they'll be able to help with all sorts of things, bathing. They could give me a hospital bed if needed, uh, walkers, stuff like that. And that's very, it was such a relieving conversation. I think that's another sign as to how I kind of know that I feel like I'm, I'm kind of tapped out with all of this because I just feel better. I feel better knowing that I don't have to go to the ER anymore do infusions or any of that stuff.
you guys chime in whenever you want. And then also, friends, I had emailed everybody a while back and asked for questions, just anything really about this topic. And uh, we got some good ones that came in, so I figure Hoswin can share those as we go, and we'll just kind of talk. And I don't know I don't know if we'll do another episode or not, but I'd like to get a couple more things down on, on the mic and recorded, and who knows whether they're released or not. We'll see, but... It'll be nice to just have some more stuff down. The psychedelic experience. Yeah, that's specifically. One I, I'd like to definitely just which do I, if we can. Yeah, and which I would like to do some, uh, make a little batch of mushroom tea, do one more journey, I think, in that department. But we'll talk about that some other time. But uh, either way, the last uh, major trip that I had was just so, so impactful and monumental in my life. Easily top three, if not the most spiritually awakening and powerful experience that I've had as a human being was with, with my one of my roommates and a good friend of mine. And I remember, just to kind of, I guess, give a preview, because hopefully we'll get this down. sitting with one of my friends <clears throat> during the trip and we both were just really really you know in our own space and our own journey and we both happened to at the same time be thinking about my disease my terminal cancer and I think the only way I could describe it is that when we looked up at each other we were just listening to music I'll never forget the song soul fight was on by the revivalists but uh yeah, my friend, we were both crying, and it I guess it felt like our souls just kind of reached out and hugged each other, is how I would describe it. It felt like we both were totally in sync with our emotions and feelings, and he had said to me at that time, uh, I'm not crying because of you, I'm crying with you. And it was really profound at the time. Those words uh, really resonated with me. It's hard to explain. Psychedelics are just such a difficult thing. Like you said, with words, it never does it justice. It's more of a feeling, right? It's these feelings and emotions. And you tap into different parts of your brain and your soul that you have never, ever experienced before. When those come out and connect with others, it does end up being the most powerful experience of your life. Yeah, and in the, with the fear of being judged by people that are listening, I, I, I have heard that there is some evidence that um, when people take psychedelics together, they can have a telepathic connection. Obviously, I'm not saying you're reading each other's mind, but there was a higher level of uh, space that you... Um, we're like a part of yeah that you occupied no that that's a good way of putting it it felt like yeah we were just on a different level and we gained a deeper understanding of each other and our lives the situation we were in and i remember when that person said that to me i was looking at him and shaking my head up and down and i just said it's it's okay. It's going to be okay. And I had such an overwhelming feeling of peace and tranquility and such a sense of calm, just knowing there, it was like there was this other being 
with us, guiding us, telling us, just let it be. Let it all come together. Trust the process. Let the universe unfold and walk your path. Don't be afraid. And uh, that was years ago, but something that I will obviously never forget and have trusted in since that time. And I will never forget how that experience made me... uh, it made me a better person. It made me understand myself at different levels, and I think people at a different level as well. We also, um, <clears throat> there's some, well, not some, but a little research, I think, involving psychedelics, specifically psilocybin or magic mushrooms, treating people with cancer at the end of their lives. In fact, I have looked for studies here in California there's only, I think I saw three studies in America right now in which they're um, researching psilocybin and people at the end of their lives with cancer. But some interesting, yeah, interesting results. A lot of people, it's it uh, ends up being a, you know, it can be a scary process, a scary journey anytime you're using psilocybin, but you need to just surrender yourself to the drug, let it take you away and go where it wants to take you and don't fight it just go with it buckle up buddy that's what i always said strap in you're going on a ride man (laughs) and uh there's no turning back now so whether you like it or not like just get used to it because you're the next yeah the next yeah don't resist the next few hours you're gonna be going you're flying but uh yeah what a trip I remember that night when I finally came down, like early in the morning, three or four that morning, I texted my family, everybody, and just this long message of how I had felt so reawakened as a human being. Oh, you did end up texting your family mm-hmm. that night? Oh, yeah. So you got a text from Andrew at like four in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if you even remember this. This was years ago, but because I'll text them randomly at night time here and there, but this was like a more profound like hey this is what i just did and, and i'm feeling really good and i just want you to know that it's all going to be okay even when i'm gone and even when you know people are gone I, I, there's more to all of this i'm convinced of that <laughs> another thing i take comfort in when it comes to the topic of death is just that everybody on this planet in the history of our existence will experience a death. There's no running from it. It's going to happen. And so I figure, shit, if everyone's got to do it, it can't be that bad, right? <laughs> These next steps. Yeah, a couple a couple people um, have asked me. In fact, a couple of people, I guess, who I'm thinking of is my mom. She was like, is he scared? Um, I think I answered. I'm like, I think there's like a stage where you're scared. I think he might be in more of the acceptance part of it. I mean, we're all scared of death. Yeah, I think definitely uh, exactly what you said. There's um, different levels of that, and I think I've, I'm definitely at the more accepted type level, and I'm, yeah, no longer afraid to die, and I uh, believe that it's not necessarily the end. And again, to to think of the suffering that I've been having to go through over the years and the relief that 
something like death brings is very inviting. Jax is getting antsy because it's just about dinner time. Yeah, that's uh, Jax. You're here in the background panting. Been doing it for two hours now. Should we get to any other questions? Yeah. Um, Susie, did you have anything to say? Um, no, I'm good. I'm taking it all in. So let's get to some of those questions. For sure. All right. We'll start with the first one. And uh, some of these are kind of long, so I'm going to summarize to the best of my ability. Um, Andrew, I wonder what it is like for you to be a handsome young man of dating age. <laughs> um, I imagine that other listeners might uh, be in a similar situation slash stage of, stage of life and could enjoy, and could enjoy a discussion about dating slash sex, sexuality while seriously slash terminally ill. Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, a, again, another important thing of our our lives as a species is reproducing and, yeah, continuing to evolve. Um, since I've been, yeah, you can take them, yeah. We're trying to, we're, we're going to go feed Jackson now. He's too edgy. Thanks, Mom. But uh, it probably is probably maybe a good time for her to leave, I guess. No, I'm kidding. Um, but we're all adults. Seriously, we're all adults yeah, at this point. True. I didn't even think about it that way, but right. Um, I've mom's dated. always thinking about it, you know? Right. Um, I've dated, you know, a couple gals since being sick, and it's always nice to have that companionship. I, I think for myself, I kind of... I'm okay being alone and going into this and going out of this. I'm okay being alone. Uh, I do recognize all the love that's around me and I'm so thankful for it. And I think I'm also thankful for just the people in the past that I've dated and been with. I've had amazing, you know, women that I've dated and loved, been in love and experienced all of that. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, I think what can be hard you know, we all have that innate sex drive, and as your body breaks down physically, you don't really have that drive as much. I'll be honest; you just you just don't. Yeah, um, I guess when I really got terminally sick, I recognized how there's so much more important things than uh, you know chasing around girls or whatever. And I had always said, "Hey, if a girl comes into my life and a relationship develops, and that's fine. You know, we go with it. You can't force those things; they just kind of happen." Uh, that didn't happen for me necessarily. Uh, again, I have dated a couple of really wonderful people in different directions, and that's totally okay. I think you mature as well. You, there's no feelings of jealousy like with women or something like that. If I'm trying to get chase a girl and she ends up going out with some other guy, right or whatever, like I'm not going to be angry or upset. I ultimately think I just want people to be happy. And, uh, so I, I think, uh, yeah, it can be tricky though. It definitely can be tricky. I don't even know if I answered that question. I think it just comes down to the person and what you're looking for and what you want. 
Um, for me, I, I'm kind of old fashioned. I was never into the whole, like the online dating thing and that's okay if you're into it or if you're not. I think it's great that people are able to meet people and form a connection and find somebody that you love. It's so important in life. And that companionship, I will say, is something that um, something that I, I miss in a way. Certainly, I would like to have a female partner or you know, someone to be there by my side, I guess, in that capacity. But at the same time, again, I've experienced that, and it is nice. And I think I just recognized that it wasn't supposed to be for me at this time to have that that partnership. And uh, that's okay. Sometimes I think about like some of the chicks I've dated in the past and the more serious ones. And, well, what if we would have kept dating? And then what if we would have gotten married and then had kids? And then what if I still got sick? And then I leave this woman with kids on her own and how horrible that would be. And I would feel so guilty. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. You- you, um, that you bring up there's one more point to this question you know it was a really long paragraph so I have to pick and choose um, this person um, basically asks is did you have a real sense of loss for a potential relationship or family and I feel like you kind of just like answer that um, but yeah I guess if there was a sense of loss if you want to talk about that at all yeah sure like the sex drive thing I'll admit is um there's certainly a loss there. You know, I, I haven't been laid in forever. And <laughs> that's mainly because my body just doesn't really work anymore. If I were to, I mean, I'm just being honest, people. If I were to like, get an erection, it's not comfortable. It's not enjoyable. Sex is not something that I even want to do because it's just not enjoyable. And it's supposed to be. And so obviously I'm not going to do something I don't enjoy, even if it's sex. Um it makes it easier in that sense that because it is so enjoyable, you don't really miss it per se, right? For lack of a better term, you're not like horned up all the time, like, oh man, I, I gotta get laid, I gotta go out and chase some chick or whatever. Is there like a George Costanza <laughs> effect where you just feel like you got smarter? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's a great, great line. Yeah, no, um, I, I wish, I think I probably smoked too much weed and canceled out that part of it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that, that, that piece, and again, people are different. People are more motivated by that aspect of life than others. I've been there, done that. It's great. It's. I think it is so important for a relationship to have that physical connection with somebody. But at the same time, uh, when you get to the point where you're so sick and your body just can't do what it used to do, you learn to kind of grab, learn to live with what you're dealt and what you got, and you get by because you don't have a choice. All right, we're going to go to the next question. I'm going to read out the whole thing this time. I do have a question for your podcast, similar to the one you shared as an example in your email. In what ways do you prefer or feel most comfortable that your friends and family show up for you? What makes you feel most supported in your journey? Has that changed over time? Yeah, good questions. Um, When I first was sick, it was overwhelming the amount of support, uh, people calling, sending books, care packages, food, um, just literally overwhelming in a good way. And it's interesting because it's five years later and I'm even more sick than I was five years ago, but that support has died off 
along the way. And I get it. You can't expect everyone to, for five years of this journey, be there all the time for you. People have lives. They have stuff going on. And uh, that's important to attend to those. I guess is I, what I recognize moving forward, though, was just that having uh, people just check in here and there, a phone call, an email, a text is, was so valuable to me. Uh, little things, sending you know a care package or a card in the mail. I feel like I've mentioned it before, but the little things are what adds up over time and make this so meaningful. And those are what I really valued from friends and family over the years. I like it. Um, in this process, is there anything you'd wish the health care slash doctor would have done differently? Do you think the outcome could have been different? Um, outcome as in physically or mentally? Also, are insurance companies truly the worst? If not, then who is the worst? Be specific. I want names, locations. Do you need me to get revenge? <laughs> Great question. Um, it's hard to say, right? It, uh, of course, you want things to turn out differently. I guess you never really know what that would look like. I try not to dwell too much on like what could have been because I just don't think that's necessarily always a healthy thing to do. But uh, I think just compassion with the doctors is what I really appreciated. Uh transparency, being honest, and uh, yeah, just those those pieces were very important. I've had doctors who were great at that, fantastic. My oncologists I'm thinking of primarily, and I've had other doctors who were not good at that at all. And you shake your head wondering, how is this person even in this profession? In terms of who's the worst, it's got to go down in the insurance companies. Um, Big Pharma is crazy just because of like the opiate thing. But, man, the insurance companies just rule all. They rule the doctors. They rule the Big Pharma. They make all the decisions. We have a system. I think it's the biggest Ponzi scheme in the history of mankind, our, our health insurance system. I spend tens of thousands of dollars a year on health insurance, and I'm so great. I am very grateful for the insurance that I have and the care I've received. But I just know that we can be better. We can do better, and people shouldn't have to spend that kind of money to stay alive and, and receive treatments. Um, crikey, one of my drugs that I was trying to apply for <clears throat> was seventeen thousand dollars a month, and I didn't even qualify for assistance because. I made, quote, too much money. I'm a sped teacher, people. Like, let's be honest, I'm not, um, you know, some superstar athlete making millions of dollars a year, or even hundreds of K a year. So to think that <clears throat> I was denied coverage in the drug because I make too much is absurd. Who can pay 17 grand a month for a drug? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's yeah. absolutely outrageous. I, so the insurance companies, the worst. And I lived in England. I went through this in England on Universal Health, and we didn't pay a dime. And I obviously survived that. It's wild to think of just how this has played out and where I'm going. And yeah, our our system. Yeah. Um. I guess I have a follow up question to that. Like, 
this might be a little tough, but if you could imagine like an ideal system based on your like experience, like in what ways do you think it would be different? I just think people would be happier knowing they're being taken care of. I think if we had the people who really want to be in like the healthcare field that are taking care of you, it's, um, it's better for everybody. I, I'm so I I'll be honest, people. I'm terrible with this insurance stuff. I don't know a whole lot about it. I've done a little research, obviously, and have a basic understanding of how things work. But I just know that um, it just doesn't feel right. This whole time, it hasn't felt right. It just feels like people are making money off of me and a lot of other people who are really sick. And I think that's not the right way to do it with healthcare. I don't think healthcare should be a for-profit industry. Amen. Uh, we'll go to the next question. Since I'm diving deeper and deeper into my anesthesia training, I'm curious about your pain management regimen. I know you have made reference to it in the pod and that you've worked closely with the team to develop something that works for you. How has this been recently? What have you tried that didn't work well for you? And what have you found the most beneficial? Good There's question. There's like another part to the question, which I feel like is a different question. Are there any new treatments or trials that you have been able to participate in? Good question. Yeah, the pain management piece. I've worked with a palliative care team for many years, and they've really done a great job with that. One thing they tell you is when you have cancer <clears throat> and pain, cancer pain, you're never really going to be at a point where there is zero pain, especially when it's this aggressive. Um, it's about the management and providing hopefully some comfort and relief. So that's important to keep in mind. I've been on so many different types of drugs, methadone, morphine, oxycotton, um, fentanyl, uh, dilaudid. I mean, pretty much everything under the sun. And they all work, I think, to a degree. It's just about finding the right combination for your body because we are so different as a, as a species. Um, in fact, I think if people saw the amount of meds I was taking now, they'd be flabbergasted because it's such a high dosage of medication and the fact that I'm still able to take it and function at a decent level every day and, you know, be around is somewhat impressive. Um, one of the things I remember when I was using morphine long-term was eventually I started getting like kind of the jumps or the shakes is how I had referred to it. For example, we've all had that feeling where you're like kind of half awake, half asleep and you like jolt out of bed almost like suddenly you're awake, you know, or if you're dreaming, another one, you're flat, you're falling and you hit the ground. And right when you hit the ground, you're awake. It's kind of like that. I'd just be sitting there. I'm not even close to being asleep. And all of a sudden my body would just, uh, convulse real quick. I'd, but it'd be like, if I had a glass of water in my hand, the water would go all over the room. Like that's how aggressive it would become. I learned that if you use morphine for a long period of time, it can start to impact your brain and the neural system causing like basically those symptoms. Um, in terms of other drugs, I've been on various drugs and immunotherapies that are technically, for example, the one I just finished, it's technically used for lung cancer, but they, the mutation in the lung cancer is the same as a mutation in my colorectal cancer. So the idea is, well, maybe if it works for the lung, let's try it down here too. 
treating more of like the cancer and the mutations itself versus the area of the body, if that makes sense. That was the goal is, I guess. And you had uh, some benefit initially from the like immuno. Yeah, totally. So people, uh, I mean, I felt like I've been on borrowed time for a while here. Overtime almost is what I had explained to my dad once is I felt like I'm just in overtime, double overtime, triple, quad, and unfortunately, I'm not going to score the game-winning goal ever. It's just not going to happen. But I'll still keep going and keep playing and keep grinding um, along the way. But I think of the immunotherapies specifically that I've had and how they have bought me so much years of time on this planet, and I'm very grateful for that. I feel like that will be a good thing in the future as we move forward. Yeah, I've I've always been uh, impressed with how you've... Um kind of use your like medicine um or like use it when you needed it um you know when you need to have some energy and you know there's like a period of time you kind of almost like plan for it, it like it seems like and you kind of know yeah you're very scheduled with it or and i'm sure that's like a skill at this point um or i imagine it is yeah totally thank you all right uh last two questions from the same person um <laughs> And the person wrote, uh, don't you hate two-part questions? Mm. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone in a similar situation? Is there anything you wish you did differently on your cancer journey? Yeah, good questions. Awesome questions from the listeners. Um, Thank you for saying that. I'm going to actually read what he can. He kind of added context. Yeah. He's just that kind of guy. Don't you hate two-part questions? I feel, I feel this is important, though, as it's extremely conceivable that a loved one or myself will find themselves in a similar situation in the future. I'm interested in hearing your top tips and if you can think of any ways you could have improved your approach. I know this is a vague question and you could go down several subpaths with it. Medical, spiritual, emotional, personal, etc. Yeah, yeah, great context. Um, thanks for reading the rest of that. Yeah. Jeez, heavy. Um... The little things, I've said it countless times, for me are so important. Even if you're stuck in traffic on the way home from radiation, which I did for, you know, eight weeks every day. Um, I'm sorry, six weeks and then an additional four weeks in separate times. Anyways, long story short, when I first started radiation therapy, I'd come home. I'd have to drive from La Jolla to Oceanside and it was rush hour every day because I had go from school straight to La Jolla, do the radiation, and then head straight home. And again, so right around that time, it's, you know, five o'clock rush hour. There were times where it took me two hours to go 30 miles. So that would be real frustrating. I'm sitting in the car like, oh, but you know, I have cancer and why am I sitting in traffic? But then I started trying to use that time and reframe and think like, all right, let's, let's meditate during this time. Or let's think about, you know, your family and your loved ones or put on some good tunes and you know, really just try to enjoy being in that moment, even if it means you're stuck in traffic, which I am now immune to traffic. So I will say <laughs> that was a good thing. Um, so I guess overall, just, yeah, try to do the little things for myself. I really try to stay optimistic, eternal optimism. And that's something I've been doing since I was a kid, I think. So it's almost ingrained into my mentality at this point. 
But I think just trying to find the silver lining in everything you're doing is so important, especially with cancer or not, but especially with cancer. And finding out what's valuable to you and trying to make time for that. And also learning how to say no and learning how to accept help from others is something that took me a lot to to figure out. I would spread myself thin sometimes trying to, I think, appease other people, even though I wasn't necessarily something I wanted to do at the time. And finally, I realized, you know what, like, I'm going to just start doing what I want to do. And it might be a little selfish, but I know I can still, you know, make time as needed for these individuals. And if it's something that I'm into, I'll do it. And if it's something I'm not, then I won't. For example, like, big public events over the years have become more and more difficult. And I used to love, like, going to sporting events and stuff. But over the years, you just, it, because you're hurting so much and there's so much maintenance with the body... Um, it becomes more difficult to enjoy that stuff. So I thought, shit, I'll stay at home and, you know, watch the game on TV and have my own little party and maybe get some friends over, try some new food or whatever it might be. So I think just being creative and trying to find ways to normalize things in a sense. And um, the last piece, I guess I'll say there is, I try not to dwell on the cancer too much. It is very important to feel your emotions and cry and to feel sad and be angry and go through all of that. But you can't let those things weigh you down and get in the way of living life and being happy and being a good friend to people. And so I guess, uh, choose the right time for your pity parties. (laughs) What was the other half of that question? I kind of forgot. Um, just to repeat the question, yeah. what advice would you give someone in a similar situation? Is there anything you wish you did differently uh, on your cancer journey? Anything I wish I'd do differently? Not not a, not a ton, I guess. Again, I, I don't really like to play that game all the time because it's like, what I can't do anything now, right? So I try not to go and dwell on that. Um, maybe seeking more opinions in a way, but even that, I I mean, I did seek plenty of opinions i guess i'm thinking like i almost went to md anderson in houston for treatment and care and you wonder i guess sometimes what that would have been like but at the same time i think of how i ended up in california and how all of this for years my whole life me being out here has somehow connected and it connects to this disease and it connects to this podcast and that's why i'm still feeling like this is the path i'm supposed to be on Okay, the same person um, also has a second question. First question was a two-parter. The second question with some context. And I like this question. How do you prioritize relationships with a terminal disease? And here's the context. This might be one of your tricks in question one. When trying to put myself in your shoes, this part seems like one of the most difficult. You have family, close friends, middle friends, acquaintances, and many other subsets of relationships. You're also establishing new relationships at the same time. Your texts, calls, and emails surely get overwhelming at times. How do you manage all of this? Yeah, good question. And again, it's so much, especially when you first get sick, it's overwhelming. Um, But you know, you figure it out over the years. You know who your friends are. You know who's there for you, and you're really in your corner. I think you just have to pay attention to the signs and how people 
you know, respond or don't respond to you and let that be your guide. Trust your heart, trust your own instincts. Um, at the end of the day, for me, family is so important. I've had a lot of good friends, really close friends that I know are going to have my back no matter what. And as you mentioned, acquaintances and so many people that I think of that I wish I could do more and tell them more, like how much, even though they might not know it, they impacted me so much along the way. So I think for me, that's what I wish I could name literally every person, you know, and just say thank you to them. Um, I mentioned a little bit earlier, like the Saginaw Badgers and the Naperville Central Red Hawks, those hockey guys, like you guys know who you are. And I want you to just know from those communities, my teaching communities, the my colleagues and students and parents of the students just have left such an impression on me and have made me who I am. And uh, I wish I could do more for all those people. Again, even if you think you didn't do much at all, um, I remember you and love you and you were part of this along the way. Cool. Um, I guess I do have one question too. Um, so I'm just going to add it in there. Um, one of the unique things that you've done is live on your own throughout this journey. So when you found out the diagnosis five years ago, you know, you could have moved in uh, with your mom or dad or your sisters, but you decided to kind of continue your journey. You didn't stop it. Uh, your California a journey that is, um, did you ever reflect on that? And what do you think, I guess, of your decision? Yeah, that's a really good question. And uh, I think a lot of people wonder that as well. When I first was sick, I just figured, all right, you know what? This is going to be a year. It's going to suck, but you're going to knock it out and you'll be fine after. And that's not at all what happened. Um, so initially, I thought I'm going to keep chilling in Cali. My plan was to be here for five to eight years and then try to move internationally to like England or somewhere abroad, continue teaching just for a few years. And I figure I could always go back to Cali or go back to the Chicago area or whatever. That's why I like traveling and moving, because you can always go back to your roots if you need to. But it's fun in the interim. Um, I certainly had thought at times of moving home, moving in with my sisters even, or family. But what I was fearful of was that those long, cold winters uh, were kind of stuck in my head. I'm not going to lie, and it might sound silly, but being in California, especially Oceanside, I've been able to be so active over the years, and I think about how, especially like, geez, 2019, I was so sick that winter, and I don't think I would have been able to survive in Illinois or Colorado because at least here I was able to try and get outside and walk and get in the sunshine and go to the beach, and it would be so motivating to me, and it helped me stay alive. I would always say if you just keep the body moving, you know, you're not going to die. Try to move every day, walk every day. So for me, and I had explained a lot of this to my family along the way, just explaining why I wanted to be here, and that was a huge purpose. And I guess I figured that we're so fortunate to have the means to travel and visit and come see each other that that wouldn't be as big of an issue. But uh, I don't know if I yeah, I don't, I don't think I regret any of that or the decision to be here in Cali. I feel like my oncologist, I was supposed to have him in my life. The treatments that he had gotten, you know, gotten me hooked up with. Um, 
I wonder maybe if I stayed home, it wouldn't have been nearly as effective, some of the treatments, or maybe they would have tried something totally different and, you know, I would have died years ago and uh, never made this pod. Who knows? So I guess in the end, you got to do what's best for yourself and to have the love and support of my family along the way has been the most important thing. Absolutely. While we're on this topic, I just don't want to forget this. I realized that we we had a guest on here, Dana Nelson, and she was mentioning one of the questions, and she's no longer with us. She was a pretty cool person. Just wanted to give her a shout out. This is the last episode we do. Feel yeah, like we Dana. Do that. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, Dana was one of our guests and just an amazing person, an old soul, and someone who, even just from a couple discussions, it's like, man, you can connect with her. And she did die from from her cancer. Uh, this was, I believe, last month. I forget the exact date. We'll try to find some info for you. But she was so amazing. She was an influencer in this realm in terms of normalizing people my age and our age and having a terminal illness and what it's like. And she was such an advocate, such a beautiful soul and spirit and person. And she's someone I think about every day, basically. She died on August 15, 2022. How old was she? It was 24, I think, 26. Uh, four plus 20, 26 years old. 26, good God, way too young. <clears throat> and that makes me think, too, way too young. So I mentioned this earlier. We do get so stuck in this society about measuring a good life based on the years you're around. And, of course, we all want to live a long, full life. But at the same time, I'm so proud of what I've done in the 34 years on this planet and the people I've met, the places I've been, and I feel I've lived multiple lifetimes with the the adventures I've been on and so grateful for that. And so even though it will be a young age to go, I have no regrets and no regrets with how I've lived my life and still fully believe that this is just part of the path and I've done my work is done here, right? It's 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 okay to be moving on. So, I don't know, this is a long one kind of in a way. And I'll be honest, I'm tired now. Um, we'll look to kind of wrap it up, but I think we're going to get some more recordings, hopefully, over the next few days. But if anything else, I guess my closing words are... Uh, Enjoy the little things in life. Love your family. Be kind. Just be kind. Believe in the good. Be the good. Love each other and let it be. Just let it be and let it trust the process. Believe in the universe. All that, all those flat cliches. <laughs> They're uh, cliches for a reason. Yeah. Ride the wave, believe in the good. Life is short. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely. And just each moment, revel in it, people. Revel in the little things. Looking at, you know, mom, the grandkids running around and laughing and having a popsicle or uh, just being at the beach and taking in a deep breath of that ocean air, looking up at the stars at night. These are the things that, you know, we can appreciate as a species and know that uh, it's all universal and relative and... I believe that it will 
you know, there's more to us and more than our physical bodies, and we will meet again. Speaking of your uh, nieces and nephews, is there anything you want to say to them? The future thems, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I just, to see my sisters and their husbands raise these kids have been, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, very proud of them. And it's been really, yeah, the kids are so funny. <laughs> and I know that they're going to, you know, grow up loving each other and having each other and <clears throat> really, really uh, wonderful families. And I hope uh, <clears throat> along the way, yeah, I just want people to be happy and be loved and uh, enjoy life. And so I hope they can do that and know that. I love them. I don't think they'll really have many memories of us, but we got some really good photos and some funny, silly inside jokes. And uh, I know that my sisters and are in really good hands with their husbands and families, so it's nice, nice uh, having that comfort. <laughs> So we're going to sign off for now, friends. Um, love you all, and thank you for the support, this podcast specifically. How we, I am sure, I thought we'd get like maybe six episodes, and this thing has really taken off. So it's pretty cool to see that, and I hope that the advocacy continues, and that people are able to have a choice in this position, uh, <clears throat> people who are forced into, into this position are able to have a choice to have sort, some sort of control over what their end-of-life experience looks like. But uh, I know that I do have that choice, and I'm so grateful for it, and grateful for the love and support of my family and friends, even friends who religiously have very different beliefs but still say, I love you and will support you. So thank you for that. And as life moves forward, live it up. Again, little things. Eat an extra slice of pizza. Maybe extra bite of dessert, something like that. And be kind and be loved and love each other. Hey friends, I'd like to leave you with one last recording for the Death with Dignity podcast. This is a poem that was introduced to me many years ago by a dear friend. It's called The Desiderata of Happiness. It was written by a man named Max Ehrman in 1927. I hope that as you wander through life, you can draw inspiration from this as needed. Here goes, the desiderata of happiness. Go placidly amid the noise and haste, and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible, without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly, and listen to others, even the dull and the ignorant. They too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons, their vexations to the spirit. 
If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain and bitter. For always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let us not blind you to what the virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself, especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love, for in the face of all rarity and disenchantment, it is as perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune. But do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be, and whatever your labors and aspirations and the noisy confusion of life Keep peace with your soul. With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. (laughs) ¶¶